Hello, everyone, and welcome to Chat with the Designers, your online, live, monthly uh, magazine for hams, homebrewers, and experimenters across the fruited plains. My name is George, N2APB, and with me as co-host tonight is uh, Joe, N2CX, and Dave, AD7JT. Together, we are pleased to welcome you to episode 88 of Chat with the Designers, and with our continuing uh, series of test equipment you can build. And using our test gadget uh, uh, platform, we are tonight presenting the RF Power Meter test gadget. And we're going to start off simple and then kind of grow it uh, large, uh, larger as we, uh, as we go on. Um, but as we do... Um, get started each time with just kind of a general update on things, sort of. I uh, wanted to say hello to everyone and, and welcome to some of those who are um, who joined us last week for the, the first ever monthly Midnight Design Tonight. That's what we call it. Once a month we talk about Midnight Design Solutions products, which happens to be everything that we do here on Chat with Designers, on the SDR Cube, um, um, on the uh, Midnight SNA, on the uh, our Ultimate Keyer, the new PSK modem, all the stuff that we have come to love and play with and and uh, get going along the way. Uh, this is uh, that uh, that session, which happens to be the first Tuesday of the month, is our regular one for discussing that stuff. Next time, next week, I'm sorry, next month on June, I don't know, fifth or something. The topic is going to be the SDR Cube, and we are releasing version 4.0 with a whole bunch of great new features. And I, and if you were with us last uh, last week, actually, for the Midnight Design Tonight session, you heard what some of those features are. We even have an extra one or two that were not talked last night, so last week. So uh, we're going to be pleased to do that. But tonight, another piece of good news, I think, is that we have now migrated all of. Uh, um, our Yahoo groups over to groups.io. You should have received messages if you're subscribed to those groups, any of the Yahoo groups. Again, the CWTD group, the new PSK group, the SDR Cube group, and the NAT SDR, um, the NAT SNA group. So um, you have been automatically resubscribed or up, uh, subscribed to the groups.io. That's the uh, CWTD uh, at groups.io. Nothing for you you to do and it's so much nicer of an interface and we're going to shut down the yahoo groups now and live only on groups.io as so many uh, as so many groups have uh, been doing now moving over to groups.io does anybody have any questions on this general news before we get rocking and rolling say uh the only thing i've seen so far is the cwtd i haven't seen the other two or three <laughs> Okay, um, you might uh, it might it might you might not get it you might not get multiple indications I'm not sure uh, but I'll check to make sure you're on there OB as appropriate but I mean the final destination is cwt.groups.io is where everybody is if you're on there great if not I'll make sure you're on there and I see the Jim K0RGI down in Teleco Village in sunny well it's not sunny right now but sunny tennessee nice warm tennessee jim's going to be nearly my next door neighbor when i move down there in uh, three weeks the house is sold and uh, now we're just kind of packing things up going through a home inspection and all that kind of stuff to get the rest of the stuff all the way down to tennessee but uh, very glad to be moving down there pretty soon it's gonna be a hectic couple of weeks for me but uh, um, somehow everything seems to fit in just okay 
Uh, Joe, is there any other news before we get rocking and rolling with the program here tonight? Oh, I don't know. I I really don't know of anything uh, anything else that's uh, that's hot other than uh, the material for tonight. All right. And uh, how about you, Dave, as co-host here as well? Anything? Uh, is there anything new in the lists or any hot new news that uh, um, that we want to bring up here for the general group first? Oh, I think I'm pretty clean. Well, that's good to hear. <laughs> I took a shower this morning, so I'm ready to go, too. Okay, so um, let's get started. Tonight's program, as I said, is um, test equipment you can build, and we're specifically talking about the RF power meter test gadget. There's a, a lot of things that we have planned to be doing with our test gadget platform, and uh, I really hope, we really hope, that you're building along the things with us here, too. Um, it, it couldn't be easier. Well, it could be a little bit easier, but we'll address that a little bit later on. But all you need to do is get your nano, get your display and a rotor encoder, and boom, you've got yourself set up with the baseboard. Then you can get these little uh, side, on, uh, side uh, boards that we have that we plug in on either side of the of the baseboard that add extra capabilities to that uh, to the baseboard all controlled by the Arduino uh, nano processor that's uh, that's there on the board and each week as we come along here we are adding to the capabilities that our test gadget platform has and uh, starting now actually with this week to combine them into something that's a little bit more than individually available. Specifically, we are talking tonight about the RF power meter gadget, which, as I said, we start off simple in order to illustrate the ease of getting hardware working with a little microcontroller as well as the software to control it. But then we start building onto it and we can build greater and greater functionality. Um, we're going to go um, start with a very basic um, RF uh, detector, RF power detector. Um, and uh, Joe's going to take it from here and kind of give us a little bit of a lead up in the background and the whys and the wherefores. And, and Dave and, and I can banter back with Joe as we kind of progress through there. And uh, you'll see where the derivative, where it started from. Obviously an age old circuit that uh, well, it doesn't even, we started with a silicon version, but there were versions before that, of course, uh, RF detectors back in the days of the hollow state design. But we start here with a, the simple diode detector that uh, we're going to be building up and starting to get it into the uh, our test gadget uh, platform. So without further ado, why don't we get it over to you, Joe, and uh, tell us a little bit about uh, how the RF detectors work and ultimately how we're going to be using that in order to, to read RF voltages. Okay, very good, George. Thank you. Yeah, uh, the, the very simplest uh, diode detector, well, as, as George mentioned back in the hollow state days, um, vacuum tubes were used for uh, detectors, for RF detectors. The basic idea is shown in the uh, the first schematic of the simple diode detector. There's a uh, a diode in series in series with uh, uh, RF into uh, some sort of uh, gadget to measure the uh, voltage out. What this does, it's a half-wave rectifier that allows the positive peaks of the sine wave to uh, to pass through. Uh, they're filtered with a capacitor. Um, to remove the RF component, and the resultant is a, uh, a DC uh, DC voltage. And uh, I, I show a, a, a parallel resistor here. Doesn't need a parallel resistor, but there will have to be some sort of uh, uh, resistance in series to uh, to limit the current. Um, it is good. I mean, uh, back in the uh, in the tube days when uh, when RF voltages were in the 
on the order of uh, at least several volts, uh, it worked quite well. Um, the downside is that um, any practical diode, uh, semiconductor diode, has um, an inherent voltage drop. It doesn't conduct till it gets um, gets a couple tenths of volts across it. You can see from the uh, from the info here, uh, germanium has a two to three tenths volt drop. Um, silicon is about six tenths, and in between uh, Schottky diodes, which are a special silicon diode, they only have a forward drop of three to four tenths of a volt. What this means is that with the low input voltages, um, the accuracy suffers because you don't get any DC output until you uh, till you uh, get above that, until uh, the peak of the sine wave gets above that threshold. Uh, it does inherently have an input, uh, high input impedance, which uh, is set by the, uh, the output resistance. They're also used as uh, detectors, AM detectors in receivers, and there the um, um, the nonlinearity is not not as much of a problem uh, for a number of reasons I won't go into. Um, there there are various schemes for more accurate um, RF detection. Uh, one of the one of the handiest ones for uh, hams was um, written up in QST by John Grebenkemper. Love that name. Um, in his article on the tandem match, which was a um, an SWR bridge, forward and reverse power uh, meter bridge, which used a um, um, pair of diodes, one to detect the RF uh, in conjunction with a um, uh, an op amp, which fed back its output through a second um, diode, which you can see in the schematic uh, here for what I called the AccuProbe, which was a kit that was sold by a couple couple of ham clubs. Um, the net result is that the feedback minimizes the nonlinearity at low uh, input voltages. So it's fairly accurate down to uh, actually below 50 millivolts RMS. So it works quite well. Um, and this circuit is a little more complicated, but uh, you know that's the basic idea. The idea here is that it was a, uh, a test device for RF detection um, feeding a digital multimeter. And there are resistors in here to compensate for the, uh, to convert the peak voltage into a DC output that, that corresponded directly to, to RMS. And in addition, there was a range switch um, because you didn't need the, um, you didn't need the fancy uh, feedback uh, for higher RF voltages. So it was a multi-range, uh, multi-range instrument. Um, yet another scheme is- Hey, Joe. Um, yes, go ahead, George. Just a, a question and a clarification here. You, you mentioned, I see the high-low switch there um, on the uh, AccuProbe, on your AccuProbe, and um, you mentioned why it's not needed. I, I, to make it clearer yet, with a higher voltage, essentially, what you're saying is that the, the drop that is uh, incurred by D1, your RF, uh, your initial RF detector, it becomes in, con, inconsequential or um, uh, lost in the noise, lost in the in the dirt, and you don't need that kind of compensation when you have a higher voltage signal, and hence you don't have to go through that first amplification stage, right? That's exactly right. Um, and in addition, yeah, that, that's a very good point. In addition, you notice that R5, the series resistor, is higher uh, than uh, with the uh, with the op amp and circuit, so that it also gives you a, uh, uh, it also compensates for a, uh, um, to give you a higher uh, uh, effective uh, um, range in uh, RF voltage um, automatically compensates for that with the uh, with the switch. Uh, okay. Any other questions uh, from George or anybody? Um, 
while I have the mic, I'll continue on here and then pass it over to Jim. But um, you really could put another amplification stage there in place of the R5 high path, um, which does have that, which would have the diode uh, feedback if you really wanted to be a purist and have and, and compensate for that higher voltage or compensate for the, the diode drop of the detector, even when you're in the higher uh, uh, gain stage though or gain condition, right? Yeah, that uh, it would uh, would be would be uh, usable once you get above um, oh say five volts or so. Though, as you indicated, the uh, the accuracy loss is uh, is minimal, particularly the Schottky diode with a uh, low voltage drop. So that you know, you know me, I like uh, um, good enough design. I like simple things, and uh, the added complexity really uh, doesn't add much value to it. Agreed. And by the way, for sharp readers who uh, might recognize this circuit, uh, uh, this is the same compensated um, reflect uh, comp compensated amplification stage that we used in the Micro 908 antenna analyzer. Again, the product of uh, Joe and myself back in 2008, maybe 2004. Um, and then since it went on to, of course, uh, Joe, you created the uh, the AccuProbe and it became a nice kit over there with QRP kits, and I think it's still available. And it's a really, really nice design. We had a lot of success. We had four channels of that because we, had, we wanted to read four... Um, RF signals coming from our reflectometer. Anyways, just a little bit of uh, sideline trivia there. Uh, Jim, you had a, um, you raised your hand. Go ahead. Uh, can you hear me? Yes, sir. Oh, I was just wondering what the ranges are on in high and low. What kind of voltage you expect? The SI 5351 was thought about TTL level. You know, I frankly don't recall. The uh, the low range is about, um, say, 50 millivolts up to 5 volts. And I, as I recall, the uh, the high range was something like um, choosable for five volts to something like uh, 35 volts RMS. Um, I didn't look at the data sheet that I wrote. Um, I probably should have. That answer your question? Yeah. Is that an expensive chip? Oh no, the chip is not um, still more than a couple bucks. Um, it's it's very inexpensive. One of the, one of the beauties of it is that it is a um, um, high input impedance chip, and it has a very low offset voltage, so that it uh, gives you a very accurate uh, DC amplification. Some of the other more common chips are uh, not quite as good in um, in this application. They tend to add a little more error. All right. Any other questions? All right, Joe. Why don't you uh, continue on to the log detector? That there's we, there's a lot of interest in log detectors in different groups, be it for the antenna analyzers by K2ZIA and uh, and Jack um, TEE WATEE and um, oh golly, there's been a lot of uh, other uses, um, and we even did some in the um, in our SNA for the midnight SNA. Dave uh, Dave's design there for the front end used that one. But uh, tell us, what's so good about the 8307? All right, since you asked, I will. Um, way back when, when I was in college, I co-opted with the uh, Navy down at the uh, Navy Yard in Philadelphia. And one of the advantages of uh, being a uh, being a co-op was that uh, um, <laughs> they would give they would give the co-ops the uh, the boring jobs, things that nobody else wanted to do. 
And it was the time of the Pueblo incident. I don't know if you remember when North Korea captured one of our spy ships. And um, unfortunately, they, they uh, got hold of much um, classified equipment. Uh, and the end result was that uh, the Navy declassified all that equipment. Well, um, for eight hours a day during my co-op period, I sat there uh, declassifying tech manuals. And some of the tech manuals talked about um, radar. Uh, radar and uh, signal detection equipment. And sure enough, um, since they had to have a wide dynamic range RF detector, they had a scheme which used, uh, un it's ungodly to say, but used a whole bunch of cascaded tube amplifiers um, with, um, with outputs from each. I won't go into any detail, but uh, the idea was that uh, they could cover a wide dynamic range and get very accurate RF detection. Now, fast forward um, 20 years, um, analog devices um, incorporated the same idea with a whole raft with six cascaded amplifier stages and an integrated circuit and some detectors to make a very simple um, um, logarithmic detector that um, can measure down down to microvolt levels and up to um, about zero dBm, uh, 200 or so millivolts RMS, very, very accurately and linearly. Um, doesn't suffer the uh, nonlinearity of, of some other detectors. And the whole thing fits in a um, an eight-pin dual inline chip. Very, very handy. Uh, very good. The output is linear, and as I recall, the uh, DC output is um, something like uh, 25 millivolts DC per decibel uh, of uh, input. And you, you can look up on the data sheet and see the exact numbers. But the point is, it's a very simple, um, pretty well calibrated device to give you a wide dynamic range uh, RF detector. Uh, works works quite well. It's it's been used in any number of uh, applications in industry. Um, of course, uh, you know the military uses quite a bit of it, but uh, it's also used in uh, cell phones and other things for uh, signal level detection. Um, very very good chip. We've we've shown the AD eighty three oh seven here, which is one of the early ones, but uh, there are any there are a whole variety of others that um, actually will work uh, almost from DC to daylight. So very, very wideband and uh, very, very good. Um, any questions on the uh, the log detector uh, uh, device here? Ray, you oh. uh, Ray AE5HN, you were scratching your microphone or something. I didn't know if you were trying to raise your hand. Uh, did you have uh, something to add? I, um, I, I guess not. Uh, Joe, I don't know why I put the tandem match block diagram in here. I think I was just enamored with all of the different blocks that uh, if you take a, if you take a look at the schematic itself in in the article that's linked uh, below the block diagram, um, I think you'll be impressed, awed, maybe even um, coward by the uh, all of the analog electronics right. that are much more easily accomplished today. Certainly in the microcontrollers that uh, we have, like the Arduino and PICs and and other types of processors. But I thought it was pretty cool, Joe, to show the all of the different processing that ultimately goes down to producing a, an SWR, which of course is VF squared plus VR, I'm sorry, VF plus VR divided by VF minus VR in this instance anyways. And then the power output, which is, uh, I didn't follow how VF squared minus VR squared is the power. Obviously it's a difference between forward and reflected. 
in the square. Um, so maybe that's uh, that re uh, that represents the power difference, of course. Indeed, it is a uh, it's a <laughs> it's a clever circuit, and that was the um, the original article that that uh, had the um, this. Uh, Compensated diode detector in there for um, for very accurate SWR. One of the one of the difficulties, if I may back off just a little bit, one of the difficulties with um, at least low power uh, SWR bridges, standing wave ratio bridges, is that um, the error in the um, the reflected power um, detector in uh, in the directional coupler um, at uh, low SWRs, the there is an error. And the error increases the uh, the lower the reflected power gets, so it gives you kind of a um, not kind of it gives you a um, optimistically good SWR indication. And the idea with the tandem match was to use the compensated detector so that um, the accuracy was preserved uh, even for uh, very good SWRs. And there's a link. Uh, George has a link in here to the um, QSC article also. You can download and look at it uh, for more information. Um, any other questions or comments? Okay, okay. One final one final comment on the um, on the log detector. It basically has a uh, uh, one kilo ohm input impedance, so it's not a high impedance device. So generally, it's shunted with a resistor just above 50 ohms to give you a 50 ohm. Uh, 50 ohm input impedance. That's the normal way it's used. If you wanted to use it um, as a more general RF detector to measure some higher impedance circuits, you'd have to come up with a high input impedance amplifier um, in front of it to do that. And that's that's a um, that's a matter all to itself. Um, to do a, a high impedance input impedance broadband amplifier, make one is uh, is not trivial. Uh, that's a good point about impedance, Joe. That's that's always a critical factor when putting some of our different circuits together. Um, may talk about that in a little bit as well. Uh, Dave, did you? I think you raised your hand or something uh, uh, a moment ago. Yeah, I, I tried to get in earlier, but my I had to go reload <laughs> reload everything again. Um, Joe was talking about the uh, the RF probe he had up there, which had the amplifiers and everything in it. And I was just wondering how you would change that with, you know, we're using the, the Adreno, which essentially has a one millivolt sensitivity on, on the analog input, which I would think would eliminate a lot of need for these amplifiers. Care to comment on that, Joe? Yeah, um, yeah, you you could scale things. As I, as I recall, the... Um, the DC out, the maximum DC out was something like five volts. So indeed, you wouldn't you wouldn't need. Well, you you might need the uh, you might need the second amplifier there. Haven't really thought it through um, just to get the scaling properly, but uh, um, yeah, fairly trivial matter. Um, things could be scaled so that you could. Uh, uh, eliminate the second amplifier, but uh, as a practical matter, it comes free in the uh, in the uh, uh, integrated circuit chip, so it's not a big deal. You know, I um, it comes to mind, and Dave uh, Dave is the one who pointed me in this direction too once. Is that uh, OSH Park, the very popular purple um, PCB design house with designs you can go to and download and or and or buy the PCBs right off right from them uh, very inexpensively um, has 
a small circuit board. Gosh, it's about half the size, half the vertical size of my DDS60 card, and it is made to accept the uh, the 80 and uh, the AD8307. And that might be something we can be, Dave. You know, we can think about maybe putting that on a, a replacement module to step up the capabilities here of our power of our power measurement uh, gadget, and as maybe a second step for those who want to take that uh, a step further. Yeah, I, I think the big advantage of using the 808307 comes in calibration. I've been doing some playing with this the simple, uh, you know, simple uh, half wave rectifier thing that we've got that I've been using, and uh, it's going to be quite a chore to calibrate that. It can be done <laughs> with a little curve fitting and whatnot, but it's not fun. And the AD8307 uh, has such a great linear transfer function that it's it. It gets rid of a lot of problems, so that, that's that's the real advantage to it that I see. Uh, otherwise, you're going to be sitting here doing an awful lot of arithmetic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or you know, the computers can do that pretty easily too if you go through a detailed uh, calibration setup curve. Oh, but you're talking about during real time to convert the numbers that are being read real time into the adjusted values, right? I follow. Um, okay, well, let's move on. We'll maybe come back to that uh, in the near future, too. So let's get down to the test gadget motherboard. And you see it pictured there with the RF detector gadget on the left and the DDS signal generator gadget on the right. That's what we talked about last week. And um, a little bit further down is the uh, a link to a link. the zip file containing the, um, the sketch, the software for the Nano. And uh, what I did was essentially combined the uh, the very simple DDS control um, software with the DC voltage um, DC voltmeter uh, that we had featured in our very first episode. So now we have a, a, a software, and I didn't bother putting it down because going through software at least is kind of kind of boring uh, line by line. But uh, what we have is just one simple sketch that puts a uh, that actually sweeps the frequency um, from I think I put uh, I was squirting it through one of my filters um, from 7.000 megahertz to 7.001 so one kilohertz I think is what I was doing a one kilohertz sweep and in each of the loops before I would increment the frequency on the DDS I would do a voltage measurement and that's what you see in the next in the second photo there where it displays uh, after the splash screen above, um, the uh, RF power measure is the is the main screen with an incrementing voltage, not an incrementing voltage, but a voltage that represents the the signal at a given frequency, any one frequency. And again, that would happen 1,000 times. Um, there's one hertz change in uh, in the DDS frequency, but if you were to be very meticulous and, and kind of copy down, write down all of the RF power measure voltages that you see there, and if you knew the exact voltage and kept the same voltage coming out of the DDS, you would be able to determine the transfer function, i.e. the response curve of the device under test. In the schematic down below, you see kind of a representation now that we have in our test gadget measurement station where we've got the signal generator, the SIGGEN on the right, and the, um, the power detector. Um, plug-in board that we uh, that Joe was uh, going over on the left and the um, in the middle, the middle of something is yeah, a question there no I'm just making sure I'm still hooked up <laughs> <laughs> okay um, the um, the test circuit is in the middle and we take the RF out of the DDS SIGGEN on the right and pass it through the test circuit and that test circuit can be 
Um, in this case, it's uh, some kind of an LPF. And, um, oh, that's right. That was one for, that's the one that we designed. And I've got it referenced down below it. If you want to see how to design that little LPF filter, you can look back to like episode number 13 or something. And uh, you would see on our previous Chat with the Designers episode how we actually went through selected components using um, online tools and free tools in order to have a nice test, uh, a nice circuit. And we tested it back then too using, I think we were using a Micro 908 to sweep the circuit, to sweep the signal through the circuit. And what we see now here is we can take our DDS60 SIGGEN, squirt that through a test circuit, have it be inputted to that half-wave uh, detector rectifier, um, a half-wave rectifier overall detecting the a uh, the RF signal and then having that go into ultimately analog signal A0 on the on the nano so that's where the nano would read a signal display it command the DDS to go to another frequency go over and then look to the left and input that signal and display it uh, a thousand times over and over so it's really a straightforward simple type of uh, uh, circuit and a real simple circuit uh, as software circ um, scheme that is uh, able to actually read signals on the input or determine what the signals are on the input and read the signal on the output of that test circuit and the difference of course is uh, if you were to plot it um, which is what an SNA does in, in the simplest of form uh, in order to determine the um, the characteristic response of that particular test circuit so um, that is uh, let's see if I if I go back up to the, the photos of the uh, of the gadget um, probably the lower one is easier to read, it's a little bit lighter. But again, I, all I did from last, uh, as a change from last week's, was I put a BNC connector on my, my SIGGEN gadget on the right. And I have a, um, right now, here I've got a straight through uh, cable. It's just one cable that goes from one side to the other. And it goes over to the RF detector gadget on the left. And you can see, if you squint, you can see the uh, the germanium diode. Uh, you can see the load resistor. You can see an adjustable trim pot, a capacitor right next to the trim pot, and kind of just below the um, the trim pot is the uh, protection diode that was represented in the schematic. That'll protect the input of the analog the analog input of the nano in the event that the signal, the DC signal, goes higher than 5 volts, which is a possibility. Uh, the DDS card puts out, well, actually not with this case here, the, the DDS cards are set up to output uh, 2 volts peak-to-peak -peak out of the box, as it were. So 2 volts peak-to-peak -peak, uh, rectified is what we're going to see coming into the... Uh, coming into the nano. So um, that that's kind of the, uh, that's what we have. And when I get a chance, I'll kind of doctor up uh, the web page here, or the whiteboard, and show a little bit of live uh, live signals going through it and as I turn uh, turn things. Um, before we take the next step to the, to the uh, gadget rack, uh, does anybody have any questions about this basic, simple, straightforward generation of a signal, squirting it through a test circuit or, or not? And then ultimately measuring that um, and displaying it. Jim, go ahead. I'd like to know how long it takes the uh, signal generator to make a sweep over, say, a megahertz. I'm sorry, what was your question? How long does a sweep take? Yeah, what kind of time does it take? Um, what, what I'm getting at, is it possible to display um, a bandpass on an oscilloscope? I don't know. I kind of don't think so because... Uh, 
Well, if you had a if you had a yeah. storage scope and you had a, sl- a sweep slow enough, um, it might be able to. The Arduino is not a screamer, um, and I purposefully in the um, sketch put some delays just to make sure that the signal being displayed was uh, stable and not bouncing around. But uh, yeah, with appropriate equipment, you could see that on a uh, on a uh, on a on scope. A, I have I not measured the the fastest possible sweep through there, the sweep time. Okay, I have done something like that on a sort of a manual basis. I did a battery discharge curve on 18650 batteries by arranging the Arduino to uh, print the serial port, the voltage, and the time uh, with a column in between. And I connected a terminal program to the serial port and saved all that to a capture file, which I could then load into a spreadsheet and graph. Oh, good for you. That's the way to do it, too. The uh, For those of you who might not follow what uh, Jim was saying, um, built into the Arduino is a serial port and by which you can load the programs, of course, but also you can activate a serial monitor, um, which, with the appropriate commands in the software, can display uh, what is typed on the keyboard, display and interpret, was uh, typed on a keyboard on your uh, terminal, on your computer keyboard. And display information uh, coming from the nano, i.e., in other words, the uh, 0.014 might be a voltage that is also displayed on that serial port. Now, that serial communications goes a lot slower, even if you were to go at a fast uh, baud, 9600 or 14.2 or whatever. It still is slower than, it would slow down the Arduino loop. But in cases of a static uh, filter or something else that you're measuring, you wouldn't need it to be uh, dynamically real-time. So that, that's a good way. Then you would just uh, scrape that the text information from your, um, from your terminal, uh, from the serial monitor window uh, in, from the Arduino, and then um, paste that into a spreadsheet, and boom, you've got your graphing that could be done uh, with all of that data. Good point, Jim. Thanks. So um, what, um, what if you might remember, and you could actually see it by going to last week's episode and clicking the demo, you would hear the amount, uh, you would hear the frequency changing in the test receiver as the Arduino is uh, moving from, I forgot, 10.0 to 10.001. So it's a thousand steps and it goes pretty slow. I, I forgot if I had any delays in there or not. I kind of doubt it. But it takes maybe five seconds to go a thousand loops. Um, so it's, uh, I'm not sure you might have to have some good persistence on a storage scope if you wanted to actually see the data being displayed on, on a scope in real time. Now, for that reason, people normally don't use an Arduino for fast um, time-based generators um, or sweep generators in a spectrum analyzer. You could do that in a faster processor, and then you have to watch out for the signal conditioning as you're moving quickly from one step to another. Uh, but a lot of this can be done, and it's kind of fun. Um, any questions before we move on? Uh, just one question on the output of the DDS. What would we expect to be seeing on a straight-through voltage reading coming out? Are you asking, Pat, uh, if you have, for example, an RF signal that is 2 volts peak-to-peak, what would be the equivalent DC um, voltage from that half-wave uh, rectification? Yeah, I guess, <clears throat> excuse me, that's what I was trying to get at. It. There's the output of the DDS-60, or in my, my case, the it'll be the old NG, uh, New Jersey QRP uh, DDS. And then, um, so we take the peak-to-peak, and is there a, a, a loss coming out of the 1N34? I guess what, I'm, what would you kind of expect your reading on the nano to be on the output of this, just straight through? Yeah, well, a halfway rectification is going to give you uh, 
Oh, shoot. Joe, 0.7, uh, 0.7, um... 1.414. Square root of that. Yeah, square root one of point, Right, 1.4, roughly, of the peak value um, that is being presented. Being presented. So, so in this case here, it's going to be 2 volts times 1.14. Yeah, Excuse Dave. me, sorry, i um got a family matter i got to take care of. going to have to beg off for this evening. I'll see you guys uh, next session. Okay, thanks, Joe. Uh, Dave, you had a question. No, I, I think looking at the circuit, uh, you're going to charge. You're going to charge C1 to the peak level, assuming that R2 isn't going to going to degrade. And it looks like the RC constants are such that that what you're going to do is actually charge C1 to the peak level, uh, independent of RMS or anything. It's, it's just going, going to do it. Okay, then we're going to have about two volts. Um, and I think Pat was kind of getting at uh, what uh, what is incurred by the uh, the diode itself. And I think it's going to be 0.3, in this case, uh, about a 0.3 voltage drop. So um, a peak of two volts on the input is going to be represented on that capacitor C1 as two volts minus 0.3. Uh, uh, or da -da 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 -da, whatever, whatever. that is. <laughs> Wait, George, uh, you're only going to see the part of the uh, input signal that goes above ground. So if the thing is, is centered on ground, you're only going to see one volt. Agreed. Minus, minus, minus three tenths. Agreed, yeah. One volt, uh, one volt on the peak side. Uh, minus 0.3 um, is going to be 0.7 volts across the, um, that the, the cap is stored up. But does the DDS60 have a capacitor coupled output? Yes, it does. Well, then you'd be seeing that centered around ground, so it'd be one volt peak. No, it's two volts peak. No, no, no. It's two volts peak to peak. Peak to peak, yes. One volt peak. <laughs> right, but it is centered around uh, zero, Jim, because it is capacitively coupled, right? So it's still going to be two volts peak to peak, but still one volt peak that's being measured. Do you remember what you had set up in the picture right above the schematic where you're showing RF power measure? Dot zero one four. I'm not following. Where where are you referring? In the photograph of the of the test bench right above the test gadget schematic. Oh, okay. Yeah, the meter. Uh, the uh, value being displayed in the blue LCD. Was that the full output from the DDS60? No, that happened to be just either noise be, you know, uh, leading up to it, or as I was turning it on, I snapped a picture real fast. Not sure exactly what that represents. Um, and in this case, it was just it should have been just an output, a direct coupled output from the uh, the DDS to the detector board. You're, you're getting into the area of calibration now, and you, you, depending on how you did the firmware, you can set up that number to be anything you want. Well, here I'm just output. I'm I'm just using the um, um, the bare voltage uh, converted at a five volt level. So maybe that's that's where some of the some of the um, uh, computations are involved. Um, as I said, I'll I'm going to get this um, a live demonstration done as I do. Just didn't have time before the program here, and we'll get that here onto the on the web uh, on the whiteboard. Um, Dave, let's move over into your test gadget, uh, your gadget rack, I'm sorry. And uh, what we have, what we have, uh, we introduced this last week, uh, Dave's um, gadget rack, or where do we sit? I don't even put gadget rack on there, do I? Gadget rack. And um, I changed it to version 1002, Dave, because uh, in order to set up the DDS uh, um, 
uh, the DDS control signals are different on your prototype platform versus the, what we've established here on the on the uh, the gadget uh, platform. But nonetheless, <clears throat> your your gadget and I didn't have time to put all those. I captured all those screens. Your gadget rack now contains software that is able to handle any of the gadgets that we've developed so far, as well as a couple more that haven't yet been uh, done. We're always trying to stay a step or two ahead. And uh, we've got the, the voltmeter, which we showed last week. You can see that on the screen from last week's uh, whiteboard. We've got the RF power meter, and um, we've got the SIGGEN, which you have, uh, it's kind of shown down kind of in the last of the displays there. Of the three, it is the lower lowest of them. And uh, with this software, you can move the cursor over to whatever position you wish to increment, and then actually have, that's the frequency that is generated. So what we can do in the RF power mode is to first set the volt, set the frequency to the desired um, point that you want. It's a static frequency, and um, um, then in the middle and the lower one, uh, it would display the um, the uh, the decibels uh, dropped, uh, the, the gain or the loss of the test circuit that's being measured. If you had it calibrated and you just had a coax going from the input to the output, in other words, as we have it shown up above, you would have a zero dB indication. Then if there were any gain, like if you had an amplifier and you were characterizing that amplifier's performance and curve, you would see a positive dBD, a dB indication there in the meter. If you had a filter, such as uh, what I had pictured for the test circuit in the schematic, it would be a negative uh, dB and showing the reference uh, from zero dB starting point. But uh, Dave, you're gonna, I'll toss it over to you here in a second. Um, but Dave's software is, is a really Really, really nice, growing, capable, more capable set of soft, uh, software package than the individual little ones, the simple ones that I show for illustration purposes, like the one above. And uh, I would really urge you to uh, get your gadget platform working, and then load up the software and uh, see it. And it's it's really started to gain some powerful uh, capabilities. And um, not sure that it's ever going to gain the the the, the features and capabilities of something like full-blown SNA, but it could if you decided on your own to make some changes to sweep the frequency instead of just having it be single, you know, manually set. Or as uh, Jim was asking, you could have it displayed on a persistent oscilloscope screen and see a live curve trace of your filter's performance, for example. But anyway, Dave, why don't you chat for a minute about the uh, about the gadget uh, rack? Okay. I guess I'm, hey, I'm working. <laughs> I don't have to reload. Um, yeah, what what I've done is taken the 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 power meter and the uh, the, the RF signal source gadgets, and I've created a third gadget that ties them together. And when it's in power, you can adjust the frequency, and uh, it immediately observes the output. Again, the problem, you know, the devil's always in the calibration on a thing. Um, it seems to work fairly well, but I haven't got enough familiarity yet with how the diode's uh, response affects it. I've been working with a Schottky diode, which probably is not as good as the um, the germanium diode that you use there. But I just I've been too lazy to go and change it. Um, anyway, the, the way this thing works is that the uh, it starts out when you first fire it up. It's it's in the uh, the simple voltmeter form. And then I use the switch on the uh, on the, on the uh, rotary encoder. Each time you push it, it moves to a different gadget. 
And so mine starts with the, the uh, power uh, or the voltage meter. Then, then it goes to the, uh, um, excuse me a second, go, then it go, goes to the DDS60RF generator. Then it goes to the power meter. Now, when you're in, in the uh, power meter format, one of the things you're doing when you're, when you're measuring power is you're, most of the time, you're measuring it relative to something else. You want to know how much gain or loss you have in the circuit. So you, you have to do the first step of calibration. You tie the input to the output on this thing, and then you measure that level, and that's your zero dB level, if you would. Then you put your circuit that you're analyzing in there, and then you, you look to see if, if, it's, if it's more or less relative to this uh, reference point. Uh, on, on mine, if you push down the, uh, the encoder button, close the switch, if you would, for more than a second, it goes, when it's in this power meter mode, when you release it, it goes into calibration mode. It winds up capturing the current reading, and it winds up subtracting that reading from everything else that you get from then on. So that establishes a zero level. Anyway, the point of interest. And then I've added the next, uh, um, the next gadget that, that ties the two together. It actually accesses both the uh, RF meter and the, uh, the DDS60 uh, DDS power source. And it displays both of them on the screen at the same time. And at that point, you can uh, you can change the frequency, and at the same time, or also without, with, you can push this thing down and recalibrate it anytime you want. The problem with this sort of thing is you're gonna have to do a lot of recalibration because it's there's a lot of things that the the reading you're getting is sensitive to. So that that's something to take a long time. <laughs> anyway, that's basically what we've got. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm working on another frequency source right now, um, but that'll be a while before that comes out. Um, anyway, that's what I got. Back to you, George. Good stuff, Dave. I'll tell you, um, if you haven't, if, if people haven't yet... Want to walk the dogs in a couple of minutes? <laughs> before 8.30? Hey, Ray, you're transmitting. We could walk your dogs. Why. We could walk your dogs. Why. Sorry about that. I don't know why. Everything is muted here. Okay. Um, I, I forgot what I was saying. Okay. So the uh, if, if you haven't uh, yet looked at the software for the uh, for Dave's gadget rack, um, you, you would be very pleasantly surprised by how modular and how clearly documented things are. I've shown in the very bottom of this page the RF uh, power meter uh, file that Dave's uh, comment file that he has at the top of that RF power meter module. And um, the documentation, the description there is, is very thorough and it's very um, informative. And I think that you get a chance to, to see some of the, uh, the capabilities and the uh, computations that are done in these different modules and what is starting to be built into um, the test gadget uh, platform by, uh, you know, all this, these different modules that we're putting in. But uh, kudos to Dave for doing this. And again, I urge you to do it. I'm, I've uh, got mine set up here. What I'm going to be doing is doing a demo of it shortly, and I'll put the uh, I'll put that 
video file here on on this page. So by the time the um, by the time the podcasters get to to hearing the podcast, it'll be on there as well. But keep in mind that again, this uh, the, the purpose of this uh, the test gadget platform is not to be a be all end all type of uh, super duper replacement for some something on your on your bench. It can be used for a lot of things in its most basic or implemented uh, basic implemented form. Like Joe was saying before he left, he he said, uh, you know, oftentimes good enough is is good enough for our work, and that's often the case here. For example, you could take what we have right now, either in the in the gadget framework, or I'm sorry, in the uh, gadget rack that we're talking about, or in the very simple program that I that I whipped up <clears throat> for tonight's pro, um, um, episode, and uh, <clears throat> Once you measure and know what the input is, or you know, coming from your the uh, the output of the DDS, once you know that, and you can set that into a known value with the uh, with the trim pot on the DDS or otherwise, you can put it into a filter, a seven megahertz low pass filter, for example, and determine what the what the uh, insertion loss is at a given point. Yeah, it might change a little bit here and there throughout its pass band. But generally, you know, if you measure it at uh, seven megahertz, um, you'll you'll be right there at the top of the of the roll off knee, um, and then you want to be sure that you're down. Oh, I don't know what is it, uh, 40 or 50 or 60 dB for a good signal. Uh, probably, let's say 50 dB. Let's go out to a couple of megahertz beyond that. So you just dial up your frequency here with your test gadget out to uh, nine megahertz and do that single point reading again, and you'll have a, hopefully a lower signal, and you can be assured even. With this most simplest, this simplest basic approach, you'll have a functional way, a way to determine um, what the um, the roll off of that, what your attenuation is out of band for this seven megahertz filter, for example. Anyways, just different uh, things, but also it's shown uh, these things are illustrative in purpose. Shows you how that you can indeed whip up simple software, and you know the sketches are like two pages long at most, and a lot of it is repetitive from one sketch to another. Um, but how you can input the voltages and display them, how you can turn a rotary encoder and see, you know, um, states, internal states change, and you can reflect that by different menu items being selected on the display. All these things are doable. And again, we're doing this to really show you what the power and how you can do it yourself. But anyways, that's that's kind of what we had intended for tonight's show, and uh, kind of right on time this this night. Um, does anybody have any questions or anything that like like to drill into a little bit more? Okay, I hope you all enjoyed your, uh, the program tonight. And um, as always, Dave, Joe, and myself have a ball on kind of uh, putting together this this series, especially uh, making our test platform grow. And we won't be too long before we have uh, some additional modules that are coming online and um, additional ways that you can be uh, using your test gadget on the bench, in addition to it being an instructional platform. So thanks one and all, and uh, thank you Dave, thank you Joe, uh, uh, postpartum here, and uh, hope to uh, see you all next time on Chat with the Designers. And a month from now, that'll be like J uh, June um, June 12th, I think, is the next time we meet. With any luck, I'll be down in Tennessee at that time, and I'll be, I'll be uh, speaking with a little bit more of a drawl, perhaps. I don't know. Good night, all.